Hey, hello everyone. Thank you so much for uh, sticking with us on Thursday. I see that it's only the hardcore person, the warriors who are here today. Thank you so much, really appreciate it. Um, it's really our pleasure to be here and introduce this uh, session around building the largest repo of serverless compliance as code. Uh, with me I have Jill Belly, it's my very pleasure. Uh, Jill is uh, from Standard Chartered Bank, is the head for cloud and DevOps architecture. And I have Prashant Prala, which is uh, senior manager, uh, product manager for CloudTrail, Config, and CloudFormation. So let's get started. So today, um, I want to start with an introduction on what does it mean, compliance as code. Uh, maybe some of you know that already. I just want to level set everyone to exactly what do we mean by that. Um, you know that in Amazon, we are aiming to be the most customer-centric uh, a company on earth, so it's our pleasure to have a voice, as a voice of customer, uh, Standard Shattered Bank. Then we will um, go into um, our objective of today, which is bringing you, at the end of the session, the mechanism and the tools for you to go back in your office on Monday and start to do compliance as code. So we will look at uh, the different people which are involved into the compliance as code, and what are the solutions for them which are available today for um, doing compliance as code. Then finally, providing you an idea what could be your next three months doing compliance as code to get started. So, be compliant. So compliance is often linked to security. Um, and it's, it's, it is very, uh, it's normal to be linked to be security because there is a lot of um, security control that's uh, required in order to be compliant to certain regulation, certain standards. But eventually being compliant is about setting certain standards, setting rules, and meeting them. So the customer point of view of that when we take an application owner is going to have two things. First, he's going to receive a checklist of control requirements. That's the control that you need to meet. Then maybe on an yearly basis or maybe quarterly, he has um, an audit that you need to demonstrate that is actually meeting those control. But let's go upstream. Let's see exactly what does it mean to build a compliance program as an organizational standpoint. So I want to introduce you the fourth step that uh, we see. Um, it is, um, bear with me, it is very simplified. Uh, so for any compliance specialist here, it will, there is a lot of work behind each of single step. So the first step is about analyzing. Analyzing what is your business, uh, what is your requirements, what is your legal, um, um, your legal requirements? Uh, are you, um, uh, you have probably privacy laws, for example, or maybe you are financial service and you are regulated, so you need to meet the compliance of your regulators. Then when you understand that and you uh, decide what's your risk appetite, you're able to build and define your policies and standards. Uh, in order to meet those requirements. Then from there, you build this checklist that we talk about, and then you have this audit process that's happened. So that's really this piece, checklist and audit process, which is customer-facing. I call it customer-facing because eventually the customers of the compliance program is the application owners. So we go back to that, and what does it mean to them? What do they actually receive uh, in most of the cases? In the first step, they receive a spreadsheet of control that they need to meet. And they have access to certain experts, like an information security person, that's going to help them and advise them on how to do it best for their application. And for the audit, they usually receive a notice um, a little bit in advance with telling them that they're going to be audited and that they need to demonstrate in a certain way that they are meeting those controls. And the way that they demonstrate it usually it's going to be um, a set of screenshots of their application. Uh, they're going to fill up questionnaires. They're going to do some meetings. Uh, and they're going to have maybe an internal or an external auditor coming to meet them. There are some challenges to this approach. The first challenge is it's very time consuming for everyone. Um, doing those screenshots, doing those meetings, um, it is actually a very human intensive process. The other thing is that. The expertise is, is not available for everyone. The information security person or the enterprise architect are very limited resources. So they tend to focus only on the very critical application. But what about the others? 
And then finally, we, sometimes we see as well um, the idea for application owners that, oh, I have this audit. I need to meet those requirements. So they don't really think about, oh, I want to be compliant because that's the right thing to do. It's just, oh, I'm going to have an audit, so I need to fit all the things, and I need to do it better than last time I get audited. So what does it mean, compliance as code? So compliance as code is taking those two things, the checklist and the audit. The first thing is a checklist is you codify it. It means that the requirements that are in this checklist, you transform it as code. And we'll see how it's actually done. But the point is to codify it. And the audit is actually moving from something which is a snapshot in time to something which is very continuous. That can be maybe every day, maybe every hour. And like this, um, this approach has some benefits. Uh, but first, let's see how it would change um, those four steps. So those four steps will become actually five steps, which is you will still have the checklist, but then you will have a set of codified checklists that the application owner can apply in his environment. And we will have the continuous visibility as well. So the benefits that are provided is, first, it is really allows the application owner to focus on his business. Because the compliance becomes part of his day-to-day -day work. And he can focus his resources on doing the right thing. It scales very well. You do it for, um, for critical application, but we do it for other applications as well. And they provide, they have the same access to uh, this compliance as code because it scales very well. It's not dependent on human. And finally, as I was saying, it's part of the day-to-day. -day. So if they have something that become non-compliant, that's diverge from the baseline that they need to meet, basically they can say, hey, well, you need to fix it within the next three days. And if you don't, then it will be escalated. But if you do, then you just continue your journey. And you don't need to have these snapshots that are very time-intensive, that's audits, regular audits. So with that, it's my very pleasure to introduce to you uh, Giles. So again, Giles is um, the head of uh, cloud and engineering uh, architecture for Standard Chartered Bank, and he will share with you his journey as code. Thank you, John. So my name is Gilles, not Giles, but <laughs> um, Gilles Bayer, so head of uh, uh, cloud and DevOps architecture at Standard Chartered. Uh, I joined Standard Chartered recently to um, basically to help them automate uh, everything and, um, and fir firstly try to automate everything in the cloud. Um, so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about who we are, wh why compliance is important to us. Um, we'll talk you to, through to um, our journey, like uh, what, uh, what were our uh, founding principles uh, for, uh, for uh, foundational principles, sorry, to, to, to move to application to the cloud. And then we'll see some of the use cases that we use to actually build compliance as code. So SCB uh, is a global, uh, global bank. Uh, Standard Chartered Bank uh, is a global bank. It, it, it exists since 150 years. Uh, we've, uh, we've, had, um, we've, we've got 1,700 branches, uh, 5,600 ATMs uh, in more than 70 countries. Uh, so we are in pretty much every market, Africa, Asia, uh, Middle East, and, uh, and, and not the safest ones. Uh, so we are highly regulated. Uh, we have about 40 plus uh, regulation authorities looking at uh, what we do and making sure uh, we, uh, we do everything we can to protect our customer and also protect the, the image of the bank. So for, for those of you who work in compliance and audit, uh, you know that um, a company like, uh, like SCB uh, is, uh, is having continuous audit. So we have an audit team that continuously audits our system. So for us, uh, we, we want compliance to be an accelerator, not, uh, not a break to our journey to the cloud. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been uh, hired at SCB to automate everything. So automating compliance makes sense as well as part of that journey. And Compliance is also uh, even more important because uh, technology is no longer um, um, a tool that the business uses. It's actually uh, an enabler. Uh, so 
uh, we, we really want to deliver value to customers faster, but uh, uh, prove, being able to prove that we are compliant uh, from, from the, the very beginning. So uh, compliance uh, is no longer a break. It's something that can put us ahead of our competitors uh, because regulators will allow us to move faster than others. Um, so it opened new digital opportunities, but we, we need to uh, make sure that we, we, we meet those regulatory imperatives. So this is a quote I, I, uh, I really like from, uh, from our CIO, uh, Michael Goritz, uh, showing how much the bank has, has uh, stepped forward and wants to lead the change and, and not be led by it through uh, uh, nurturing a culture of innovation and, and automation as well. Um, so technology is a, is a growing footprint uh, in, in the bank and, um, and um, compliance is used to, to, uh, to increase the use of technology and protect the bank reputation. So where, where did we start? So um, uh, early in 2017, my, my boss, uh, Graham Bennett, uh, the, the head, global head of cloud and DevOps, uh, started a program uh, aiming at moving application to production to AWS with customer data. So I don't know if you are aware, but as a global bank, uh, there, there aren't many, uh, many global banks that have moved customer data to the cloud so far. Um, so, kind of, uh, it's kind of a journey. Uh, it's, it's, it's not easy. So, by, by moving those applications to the cloud, the objectives were twofold. Um, first, to understand what it takes to actually run uh, a bank uh, application on AWS. And also, the, the second objective was to, to create the tooling, uh, the automation, uh, and the controls uh, around uh, uh, our infrastructure deployment in the cloud. So we uh, fixed ourselves a very uh, aggressive target um, uh, by moving five applications uh, in a year. Um, it was challenging. We, uh, we reasonably thought that we, if we moved two, uh, we would have a, a successful year. Uh, but I'm very happy to say that uh, we actually went uh, uh, with a, a technical go live uh, last week with four of these. So uh, a very successful year for us um, as it stands. Um, we choose AWS as our uh, preferred cloud provider, uh, mainly for uh, their, their shared responsibility model uh, that, that complies with our stringent standards, and, uh, and also uh, uh, to, to, to be able to use the tool that they provide uh, to make sure our infrastructure is, uh, is safe and our customers uh, are, uh, are protected. So, to achieve this, we, uh, we started with establishing uh, cl cloud foundational principles. So wh what, what are the basic rules we, want, we wanted to follow uh, uh, when we started moving those applications to the cloud? And like AWS, uh, we wanted really to put the customer uh, in the center of what we do and, and make sure we, we didn't simply move applications to the cloud, but that we also were able to deliver uh, better value uh, for, for our customers. We wanted to uh, learn from others, uh, so we didn't want to embark ourselves uh, alone on that journey. So, we, uh, of course, we had, uh, uh, we, we had a great help from, from AWS and AWS Professional Services. Um, uh, but uh, we also wanted to learn from others with the, the experience of others and bring the outside in. And I guess uh, me being here today sharing this experience with you guys uh, is a, a way to uh, return the favor and bring the, uh, outside, the, the inside out now. So we also wanted to start simple uh, and build, uh, build the complexity on top, um, abstract the complexity as much as we could for our application team, uh, the complexity of running an infrastructure on AWS. And my presentation wouldn't be my presentation if uh, uh, I wouldn't uh, uh, present Gal's law. For, for, for those who know, um, it's one of my favorite uh, uh, principles when I start building systems and services. Uh, it's uh, start simple. Uh, a complex system that works is invariably found to have evolved from a simple system that worked. So if you start building the complexity from day one, 
uh, most likely you will fail. So think about it when you, when you start, and, and uh, John will uh, give you a starter uh, at the end of this presentation uh, for starting simple and building, uh, building the complexity on top. Uh, we wanted to use native capabilities, five apps, uh, challenging uh, uh, target for, for one year for a global bank. Uh, so um, we wanted to stick as much as possible with cloud native capabilities, uh, and we assessed that they were sufficient for the five applications we elected uh, to, to move to the, to the cloud. So we really focused on one cloud service provider, one set of automation. Um, and of course, with an exit plan uh, to reverse back to our data center uh, if, we're, if we needed it. Another principle was to involve DevOps early. Um, we, we really wanted to, uh, to automate everything, treat our infrastructure as immutable, uh, running cattle and not pet for those of you uh, who knows the, uh, the comparison. Um, we, uh, we really wanted to build a framework for, uh, automated, for automating application deployment in the cloud and, and uh, versioning infrastructure and application together and, and use AWS uh, API and, and config management tool uh, to, to guarantee this immutability. Um. <coughs> and finally, uh, last but not least, um, we wanted to be secure and compliant from, from day one. Uh, it wasn't uh, going to work with involving security at the very last uh, uh, stage of the, the process of moving to production. Uh, we've, uh, we've all experienced uh, this kind of situation where security was involved the, the day before releasing to prod and, and then some red flags comes in and it's escalation. And so we really wanted to avoid that and put compliance and security at the center of, 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 what, of how we do things in the cloud. So, um, so we, uh, we really uh, see the need of engaging with AWS professional services very early in that journey to help us define those, uh, those controls and, and, and uh, the, the code that uh, deploys those, those checks. Uh, one important thing is that we also wanted to make sure compliant, the, the compliance status of, of our system were visible, uh, visible to uh, application teams and to security teams. So um, basically the idea is to reduce the time we spent uh, with auditors, showing them the con those controls and uh, instead provide them with a, a dashboard uh, where they can check by themselves in real time um, if, if our systems are compliant or not. So le let's look at uh, a few of our use cases. Um, the first use case is uh, compliance as code for sorry, uh, storing customer data. Uh, so the data is, uh, is the new bacon. Uh, it, needs to, it needs to be really protected at all times. That's, um, that, that's, uh, that, that's something that uh, uh, regulatory authorities uh, are really uh, looking at when they come and audit us. So uh, we wanted changes. Uh, of the structure of uh, our data to, uh, to be tracked. Uh, so uh, CloudTrail give us uh, a visibility of, of the API calls and allow us to detect any change to, uh, to, to, to the controls we have in place. And, and then for uh, continuous checks, uh, we use AWS config to make sure data is encrypted at rest using KMS. Um, our S3 buckets are not publicly accessible. Uh, and that our pr uh, principle of least privilege is enforced. And of course, we wanted this framework to, to be able to be extensible. Uh, we want to add more rules uh, as we use more services. So when we use EFS, for example, we want to be able to, to check that encryption is enabled on our shares, etc. Second use case is compliance as code for internet access. Um, so, um, inbound internet connection is where, where uh, the risks come from, uh, partly. Uh, so, again, uh, we wanted to be sure that we could provide internet access directly into our cloud uh, without, uh, with having, without having to worry about uh, uh, um, security uh, and, uh, and without opening breaches. So, again, changes tracked by, by, uh, by CloudTrail. 
and this time we use AWS config to make sure the, the data is encrypted in, 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 transit, in transit using SSL. Our inbound internet goes via our uh, content delivery network with WAF enabled. Um, that's uh, our um, uh, running instances where we're running the latest version of our operating system with security patches, etc. And again, we wanted this to be extensible as we uh, grow our footprint to the cloud. Uh, and finally, like, uh, we kind of went one step further. So uh, like I said, we, we started simple, and we, uh, we are now at, at the stage where we, we start building the complexity where we actually want to uh, write compliance as code for our compliance as code. Uh, so it's kind of an in inception phase where uh, we want to make sure that our controls are not, temper uh, are not being tempered with and that our continuous checks are actually matching uh, the controls that, that are in place. So we, we started treating compliance as code like every other application uh, with code reviews, with test-driven development, uh, and using our Dev DevSecOps pipeline uh, to, um, to deliver changes to, to our existing rules or, or to, to deploy new rules. So what's next uh, for us? Uh, so uh, we started, uh, now that those four apps are in a, in a, in a technical go-live and we, we are going with a business go-live at the, at the beginning of next year after the, the change freeze, um, now we, we start a, a period of consolidation and optimization of, the, of our rules and our framework. Um, we are also thinking of migrating more workloads now that we have gained this experience uh, build the framework and, and uh, work with compliance to make sure they are comfortable with us running more services. Uh, now we are able to deliver uh, more value faster uh, to our customers. Um, we, we definitely want to continue working with AWS Professional Services uh, as part of this journey. Uh, there is a lot more work to do, like it's, it's, uh, it's the beginning. Um, and. Um, and we are thinking about open sourcing some of the rules we've written to, uh, to help building the largest repository of compliance as code. And uh, hopefully uh, you can benefit from those rules uh, uh, one of these days. And of course, uh, as a, an automation lead, like, uh, uh, we want to continue doing everything as code. Like, uh, uh, we, don't, we don't want to do anything manual. Uh, as, as soon as uh, uh, some manual intervention is required, then th there is more risk, like uh, we, we know uh, human beings. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we definitely want to continue to deploy our infrastructure as code, and uh, for everything we code, we want to code uh, the compliance checks that goes with it. So uh, we, we deploy both infrastructure and controls. And with that, I'm going to hand over to uh, Prashant. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Uh, thank you for that awesome presentation. I apologize for my raspy voice, but I'll, I'll, the good news is I won't be talking for too long. <clears throat> so the title of this session was Building the Largest Repo of Compliances Code. Now, we heard about Standard Charter's journey. We heard some framework from Jonathan. So I represent the product piece of this. So let's take a look at that framework that Jonathan brought up. So he started with four steps to compliance as code. Then he added another step. So he made it five steps to compliance as code. And then I'm going to add another step. So I'm going to make it six steps to compliance as code. So for those of you paying attention, what law does this, does this seem like? Yes, thank you. So we're following Gold's law. So, uh, so reality, it's, we're not trying to complexify this before we build it. Uh, when you really think about it, the core element of this piece is how do you actually com create compliance as code? How do you actually codify this checklist and how do you monitor and observe it? So let's focus on that. And to focus on that component, we need to understand what comes in and what goes out. So the input to this component is the checklist that Jonathan talked about that contains what you're actually trying to look for. And let's try to uh, understand uh, the input, what's getting processed, and the output by looking at some personas. Because 
they're really different aspects of, of roles that people provide, and I've given them names. Joe is a security guy who creates the checklist. Uh, Toby is the developer who codifies this checklist, and then the uh, operator who actually takes this and operates this on a continuous basis. We call him Greg. And then uh, we have an app owner, Mike, and an auditor, Tim. And I'm going to focus on the first two components, and Jonathan's going to take us into the other, uh, other components where uh, operating and auditing comes into place. All right. So security guy. In many organizations, all of these roles can be one person, right? So it doesn't have to be different people. So just keep that in mind. So a security person knows acronyms I've never heard of before. Uh, you know, typically a lot of certifications. And rightly so can actually say you can't do that because it violates the security requirement, right? Rightly, that's uh, it's his privilege. Because he's responsible for security, right? There's this one person who's responsible for making sure that what you're using in the cloud is secure. Um, so he has goals, so he wants to help the app owner do the right thing and not be blocking them from doing things on the cloud. It's a common, common pattern. But obviously, his role, by definition, has challenges. He needs to do a lot of heavy lifting to make sure that people who are using the cloud are doing it in a secure manner. Uh, he doesn't have time to go and understand what tools are available, so he has to work extremely hard. So he's always pressed for time dealing with escalations on a regular basis. So what we thought was we need to provide some solutions to help him create that checklist, that input into compliance as code. So some solutions we are proposing here. First, there's a lot of content out there. It's, it's tremendous. So every session that you could not go to today uh, will be available on YouTube, uh, not just this reInvent. You can go back to reInvent from 2012 and look at those sessions. So you have a lot of content available uh, on, on uh, for sessions specifically. You have uh, online and uh, on-site certifications as well. And this, specifically this uh, security fundamentals uh, link is a three-hour online course that you can take without any charge that helps you get up to speed. So use existing resources is really the theme of this solution. And then understand that there are tools that help you as a security expert. Now, I'm going to dive deeper into one tool, but there are many tools in the AWS tool belt that you can use to get the kind of visibility that a security personnel needs. What the tool we're going to look at is AWS Config. Now, Config is a service that uh, records what inventory of resources you have in your account, and then checks the configuration of those resources, and then also monitors when those resources change. So you get a change log per resource of the states those resources have been in, and you get an inventory of what exists in your account. Uh, if you want to uh, take an example, this is a screenshot of what the service looks like when you're, uh, uh, when you're trying to assess, sort of, for example, what policies exist in the account. If someone changed an IAM policy, which is a pretty significant thing for a security person. So you could just click on resource type, look at IAM policies, and you can see the IAM, I click IAM role, excuse me, and I look at one specific role. It's called the Lambda rule role. And if I click on the Lambda rule role, it's a tongue twister, isn't it? Um, uh, you can see that it's monitoring the policy associated with this role and then how it changes. So, and this data doesn't get deleted, right? So you can go back historically and view what these policies look like at any point in time. But you can also get information about when it changes. So you get a before and after. And you, obviously, this is a diff of the policy document. And this is sent as a notification. So if, you're, uh, if Joe wants to become a developer, you can actually code against those notifications through SNS. But these tools are available is really the point here. And best practices are available, right? So you don't have to start from scratch. Uh, if, as an example, in addition to these sessions and workshops available online, excuse me, uh, boot camps available online, you have uh, CIS benchmarks. CIS is the Center for Internet Security, uh, some benchmarks that tell you how you can secure your infrastructure in AWS. And these benchmarks are codified and available on GitHub, so you can take a look at them. You can also read the blog post that talks about how you can take these things and just uh, implement them internally. So, so Joe has solutions, right? But the important thing is a security person speaks a very different language from a developer. 
And it's really important to translate this in a very, very specific manner to a developer. This is an example of a very simple rule that checks if uh, CloudTrail is enabled and is using uh, encryption. Now, it's not just important to say, hey, developer, go implement this rule. You have to make sure that you give very, very prescriptive guidance on when something is compliant and when, some, when, when that rule is non-compliant. There could be many cases, so make sure you cover them. And, and this is just an example. You can go over it, but you know, it's just to illustrate the kind of depth you need to go to to make sure developers implement them correctly. So you have to cover all permutations of inputs. Make sure that you actually give very prescriptive guidance as the example that you saw there. Uh, make sure they're tested. Right? T testing is a very important part of making sure you codify things. And always assume that a human is going to read this, right? Because it's not very likely that, you know, it, it could be, it would be great if you could automate things like uh, Jill mentioned, but sometimes humans read these and it's JSON. So make sure that you have error messages and understand, so people can understand why something is non-compliant and what steps they can take to fix it. And the fourth bullet here is an interesting one. We started applying verification to these rules to make sure we can test them and make, make sure they're doing things accurately. These are formal verification methods. Uh, the config rule that checks for S3 bucket policies that are public or not public uh, actually imply, uh, involve formal verification methods. And that's been surprisingly successful for us. So we want to apply that kind of formal reasoning approach to other rules as well. So that's just a FYI that we want to pursue automated reasoning to check correctness of rules. Anyway, we were talking about security. So you can codify, you can create a checklist, and now you provided that input to the developer, right? The developer uh, could be Joe, but let's assume it's another person. Toby, hoodies, headphones, you know, the craft brews, you, you know, the usual stuff. Lots of programming languages, and always the first one to take the newest programming languages, and very strongly opinionated about which language to choose, and of course not liking, uh, wasting his time at meetings apparently. He's responsible for delivering code, right? He's responsible for making sure that checklist gets codified. And he wants that freedom to be creative and wants the impact, but he has challenges too, right? Let's look at some of the challenges. He typically isn't a security expert, right? He's someone who loves coding, right, and doing. and if the requirements his typically are not precise, he'll assume something and implement something, which then later some, you, know, you may discover a hole in the implementation. And he doesn't want to make sure, he wants to make sure that he doesn't have to keep reinventing things that already exist because there's a lot of information already out there. And he's dealing with a lot of home-baked scripts. You know, if you have a bank that has a significant footprint, there's a lot of home-baked scripts as an example. So managing that is a challenge for someone like Toby. But have no fear, we have more solutions available for someone like Toby implementing these rules. First one is what uh, we call the config rules repository, right? This is an open source repository that contains 70 plus, uh, at last count 75 or so, uh, rules that the community has contributed and tested and made available for people to use. And a significant number of these actually implement the Center for Internet Security benchmarks, right? And they include test cases, so that's a very important piece. But I'll also say there are rules that AWS as a AWS config as a product uh, vends and makes available to you, so you don't have to write and maintain this code, right? So if you want to customize heavily, you can go the custom rules route, but you also don't have to start from scratch. You can use this kind of repository. The other solution, which I'm very happy to actually uh, talk about is the rule development kit. Now, we haven't really talked about this rule development kit. In fact, this is pretty new. Um, uh, we actually used it at the boot camp earlier this week. And it, this was, parts of this were launched about a month ago. And this gives you a very simple command line interface to create a rule, right? You don't have to go through creating rules, writing policies, making sure the policies are compliant. It's a very simple, command line that helps you author rules. And as a data point, one of our developers internally within Amazon, who is not familiar with this service, took about three hours to write his first rule and check it in right, using this. And I think from the boot camp, if I remember the data point correctly, it was 5x faster to write a 
a rule using the RDK than it was previously. So uh, depending on how bad it was previously, that's a good data point, right? So you can make it faster is what really the, problem, uh, the thing to take away from. And this is available in Python. Uh, you can take a look at that, and that should help you get started fairly quickly if you're Toby. Now, but after you create these rules, uh, for, you created a checklist, you create these rules, and now you have to operate them. And it sounds like Greg is the one who's operating them, and it seems like he's French, so I'm going to hand it over to you. All right. Thanks, Prashant. Thank you. Awesome. Um, so Greg, or Nija, how we call him. Um, so Greg is operating the environment. Uh, Sometimes he's going to be a DevOps team, so the dev is going to be the same one, but maybe it's going to be somebody different, and usually in enterprises, somebody different. Um, Greg wants stability. That's what he aimed for, and that's his job, to make sure it is. So he has a goal, though. He wants to do less, because it's somebody which is very busy. We get paid at 3 in the, in, in the morning, and he wants to avoid that. He wants to make sure that it's running smoothly and steadily, but without uh, having those pager ringing 3 a.m. when it's not. So he said as well that whenever we start to run a new system, like we have an idea, oh, no, it's more servers that I need to operate. So it's been more workload for him. So kind of be very excited about it. Um, and he's not really used to automation. That's more somebody who can script, can do bash script and this kind of thing. But it's going to be hard for him to uh, start something from scratch. So we have a few solutions for Greg. The first solution, um, and I'm sure you're all aware about, is AWS Lambda. So AWS Lambda, for those who are not aware, it's our um, event-driven compute. So it's allow basically to run code without even caring about the server because there is no server to manage for him, just running the code. Um, it is very powerful because he has a very strong integrated security uh, model built in, within it. Um, there is another solution that uh, we built on the top of AWS Lambda. So this solution is what we call a compliance as code engine. One of the challenges that we saw uh, with compliance as code was handling multi-account having a good visibility on what's going on. The other difficulty was having a simple deployment process. So we, deploy, we created a one-step deployment process. It is serverless to make Greg's life easy. And finally, it secures the code in order to make sure he has integrity over time. So it's put it into a compliance AWS account which is dedicated for the compliance team to build new rules and protect the code. And finally, meet two other folks, Mike and Tim. So um, let's go through Mike's goals first. Mike, he wants to go to prod. He's the application owner. Is well, it's great, all those things, but I need to deliver business uh, for my company. But the thing is, you still have to deal with uh, security, uh, the checklist, the enterprise architect, um, even if he knows that's the right thing to do, but it's still taking time from his plate. And he lacks a very clear guidance of what he needs to do. It's always uh, going to depend maybe on the person he's going to meet. They're going to have uh, different requirements, or depending on the day, uh, if he's in a good mood or not. For Tim, his goal uh, as an auditor, he wants to be a trusted advisor. He wants to help the people to do the right thing. But in reality, what's happened is that he's often seen as a policeman, a person that, we, that is just going to be here to punish people, I mean, to arrest people. Um, and he must ask, usually, to have the information. It's kind of a don't show, don't tell. So he needs to really dive deep into the application to help people to do the right thing, which is his goal. So, the compliance as code engine that I was talking before um, add a few things for, uh, for Greg and for Tim. So, oh, sorry, for Mike and Tim. So, Mike is given the ability to integrate it within his DevOps pipeline. The other thing is, he gives to Mike, as he owns an account, a dashboard that provides him clear insight on what he needs to do in order to be compliant. For Tim, as an auditor, or maybe a risk officer or uh, um, a compliance officer, 
He wants to have access to the records of what's happened in the past over his entire uh, environment. And as well, he wants to have a dashboard because he wants to go further. He wants to do compliance as code analysis. What's going on? What are the trends? What are the hard rules that are enforced in my, in my environment? Can I maybe create a program that helps people to actually be compliant more easily? So I'm going to do a demo. Uh, it's a demo of this uh, compliance test code. So um, this demo, we're going to do three steps. The first step is uh, I'm going to show you this dashboard that the, uh, potentially the auditor or the risk officer uh, or the compliance officer can look at in order to gain insight on this overall environment. The second piece is I'm going to show one-step deployment. So we're going to transport ourselves into an application account, something brand new, and then we're going to deploy those roles that are mandatory for the team of, uh, I mean, the, the company of team and Greg and those people. And I will show you as well the dashboard that the actual application owner can use in order to gain insight, insight on, um, on his compliance and fix it. All right. So the first step is around the um, dashboard that Tim can use to, set, to view the entire environment. So for that, we use um, Amazon QuickSight, which is our business intelligence tool. Um, and we provide to uh, Tim the ability, so Tim Audit, the ability to see an analysis. So this analysis is from data, actual data which is stored securely in the compliance account. And here, what he has in his environment, he has an overall view. He's tracking, he's tracking 64 AWS accounts. So it's a large deployment. Uh, there is a lot of things happening into it. There's 5,000 resources running into it. And he sees all the compliance events. So every time that there is a check, in compli of compliance and for resource, you'll see it. And there is are almost 200,000 of them. So just to, to see you a little bit what, what it is, they have all the resource or across all accounts, they have a certain number of volumes of instances, etc. So for example, in number of instances, they have 1,581 EC2 instances. So the next dashboard is about what is the criticality of my account? I need to have some sort of classification of account. Some accounts are, are made differently. So in the way that it's done here is that basically have three different classification, one sensitive, another one confidential, private, and public. And obviously the one which is sensitive is definitely the very critical one that we need to be careful of. And they have 11 of them. Maybe where they run a business critical application. For the compliance as code, as well, all the rules are not made similar. Something like AWS Clutchwell is something which is critical. It needs to be there, otherwise we don't see anything. That's a critical control. Other control may be considered less critical for, uh, for the application. So let's say in, in this particular example, um, I don't know, something like um, having KMS, CMK rotated yearly is not something which is very important for them. So therefore, they put it maybe less important, so they put it in the medium level. Um, but the goal of having this classification is basically give them the ability to understand the criticality of each role. Because a critical role in a critical account is different than a critical role in a non-critical account. So they can create some kind of model that matches them. So this is, uh, in this case, this is a very simple multiplication. So we, we just add uh, a certain um, weight to the account classification and to the rule criticity, and we create that. So the, you can see that you have 16, in, no, you have uh, the highly supercritical, so which score 16, there is 55 of them that need to be reviewed. So that's about resources which are uh, uh, tracked by that, sorry. In this case, you can see from there what are the ones which are not compliant. And then you see you're doing pretty well on supercritical stuff. You have only, you have 53 which are com compliant. There's still two which are not compliant. So that's neat maybe to, to look into it. And you have all, all the breakdown. 
Maybe you want to go into the breakdown. So you can see at the bottom here, you have the criticality, so it's until 60. And this is the two rules that are missing. There is one compliant, which is doesn't have root MFA, and the other one doesn't have Cloudtrail, um, centralized, encrypted with log file integrity. And you can continue to gain inside. So I, I have two more dashboards I can just share with you idea how what can be done. Because everything is data, so you can build analytics around it. So in this case is, what are the account ideas that are um, actually having troubles with some uh, key controls? So here I display only the critical controls in the critical accounts, and I see which one is having a hard time. This account having a hard time. So maybe I need to talk to the application account and say, hey, maybe we should you know, do a, a sprint together and I help you to fix all those things. You can see trends, for example. What is my non-compliance depending on each, um, each sensitivity of account? And finally, in order to create um, maybe some sort of, uh, that I was mentioning, some sort of program on helping people to do the right thing more easily, you can see that people have some difficulties to spin up EC2 instances with EBS volume encrypted because uh, about 24% of all the events that have been recorded historically showed non-compliance. So does this mean that maybe they start non-compliant and they need to restart it again compliant? And in the meantime, they have a non-compliant event. So maybe we need to create a program to help them or an automation because that's, that's the right thing to do. All right, so that was the first part of the demo. The second part I wanted to show you, and that's where we transport ourselves in an application account. So you're an application owner, or maybe you're just um, creating the account for the application owner in the first place. And you say, you know what, I want to create uh, a certain uh, uh, compliance as code on this particular account. So we're using the service AWS config that, um, that Prashant introduced. So you can see it's not configured. This is brand new. So let's do this one step process of deployment. So in order to do this step, we're gonna, do, we're gonna use our service, uh, AWS CloudFormation. So AWS CloudFormation is a tool in order to do deployment of infrastructure as code. So I'm gonna create a new, um, so I just applied the templates. I give it a name. So this is where you give, so there is few parameters that make this CloudFormation in order to understand what this account is. So the first parameter is around, what is this classification? Remember the sensitive one, the public one? This is there, you can choose. Uh, you have few parameters around, where do you want to store your logs? Probably you want to put it in a centralized place, protect it in another account. So you can just put it there. The compliance account is a compliance, uh, is a protected compliance account where all your code is running. So therefore, which is segregated from the application account and is protected. You have an audit role that you need to create because the trust between accounts need to be approved. And two other things that um, were required by customers when I was showing them uh, this product. The first is deployed down to criticality. So you saw that there was different criticality of rules. And when you create all rules, it can be a little bit overwhelming, especially for something which is already ongoing, something you want to fix. There is an application, which is application account, which is running since maybe one year, and you start it and you have like all those controls you need to fix. So maybe you want just to start with very critical controls. So you can choose, okay, I want just the critical control to be deployed. And then maybe in one sprint you will deploys a high control as well. The, the, the final one is about giving full visibility versus cost. Um, you, have, you have the ability to contract certain custom rules into one rule. So maybe you, if you, either you choose to have the full, um, full granularity, but therefore there will be more cost, or you want to reduce your cost, but make sure that having less, uh, less visibility. So we're gonna keep it this way, and we're gonna go ahead. I wanted to put one click uh, deployment process, but it's one step. 
take a few clicks for uh, CloudFormation to run. So this is starting. Um, basically, what's happened is it's going to take about two, three minutes to, uh, to, to complete. Basically, what's happened with it is uh, it creating the trust between uh, the different accounts. It gives the certain uh, rights to config, to interrogate the other resources. In AWS, everything which is um, done between services needs to be approved through IAM. You create as well a config. There is more policy, so config need to be activated. Need to create the bucket. I mean, create the trust with the bucket which is within the, the compliance account. This isn't going. So here, config is just finished to create. So once config is finished to create, almost finished to create. Um, the rule will be deployed. And so config is, is done. And here you have all the rules will get deployed. So the rules which are relevant for your environment that you configured. And it's finished. It's been deployed successfully. So now we can see that we can go to config, which is the service we were talking about. And voila. You have an actual compliance as code dashboard that provides you insight on what's going on. So you can go to the rules, and then you see all the rules that are actually in order of criticality, and as well which they are compliant and not compliant. You can see I'm not doing a very good job. And from there, for example, you can decide to fix a resource. So let's say uh, this one, I am policy. So I am policy no full star. What is it? It means that you shouldn't give a full star uh, all, resource, all, um, all services and all permission to anyone. So you can see that you have IAM policy which are compliant, but oh, there is this one, the administrative access, which is, um, which is non-compliant. So what does it mean? So when you go in IAM, you look at the policies, you can see that the administrators have access, so this is a, a full rights permission. You can do everything you want with it, has been attached to somebody. This somebody is me, which is not very good. Okay, so I'm gonna detach myself. And I'm gonna rerun the rule. It's gonna take a few seconds. We are not compliant because nobody is using the administrative access full star. All right, let me switch back to the... Okay, great. So the rule set that you just saw, it's available on GitHub. It is following our cloud adoption framework. So the AWS professional services, uh, I've been across thousands of, of engagement with customers, and we listen to them, and we built what we call the cloud adoption framework. So the way that's how you can adopt cloud quicker and more easily. So we have a security perspective, which is a white paper. It's a great read. If you have the chance to read it, I would recommend it to you. And we create this rule set that is available that I just show you. And it's available today on GitHub. You can go there and just deploy it if you would like. We decided as well to partner with um, uh, Anishian. Anishian is a PCI qualified security assessor. So it means that Anishian has the power to actually say if it's compliant for PCI or not. And they, great, they, they wrote a great workbook uh, on how to achieve that within uh, AWS. So this workbook is, is available as well. Um, and so for today as well, we, did, we, we partnered with them to create some guidance around PCI. This guidance is going to give you through a rule set, the same way, part of the engine, some clear guidance on how you can improve in order to be uh, closer to PCI compliance. So we have an issue in this room. I'm very thankful that they help us to put that together. Um, and we, we look forward to continue to iterate to help you to get closer and working with your QSA in order to achieve PCI compliance. So, before the replay party, two parting cells. 
The first one is, if there is something that I would like you to remember from, from this session, is first, get a dedicated security member as part of your cloud team. This is incredibly powerful, but it's gonna really help you to meet compliance. The second thing is, iterate on control. Don't try to build the perfect control framework at start. Fix the problem which are the most important and iterate. And look at providing solution to customers. Application owners are the customers of all the support function that the enterprise bring. Treat edge cases carefully. When you trust compliance as code, you, you really need to trust as well that the way that it's been built has been built securely and, um, and have a full integrity. Developer likes to have clear goal. We talk about um, how to write use cases, test cases. It's really important to do that right. It's important to partner with them and say, okay, what's, right, what's work for you? I'm gonna try to give it to you and we're gonna learn together because that's not something common. And finally, start with cloud native tool first. There is over 90 different services in AWS. You can leverage them to do a lot of great things. Try them and see if they are meeting your need. And see if they don't tell us and we'll improve them. The second thing that I wanted to discuss with you is how to get started. What could look like your next three months? So when you come back in the office on Monday, what could you do in order to start compliance as code, start your journey? First, let's do um, maybe an agile uh, approach. Let's do sprints of two weeks with uh, a set of developers, two, three is enough, uh, a set of uh, operating people, uh, and a set, at least a security person. And first, you know, do a POC of this actual engine. See if it's work for you, because it's give it to you out of the box. Get buy-in from some account owners. Say, hey, look, we have this great tool. It's gonna help you to do things better. What do you think? Let's try it together. Sprint two, deploy the engine in all the account, all the account of the application owner who are interested in. And then select three, three controls. You'll see there is, um, in the rule set, there is a different amount of, of controls. Um, the CAF is like um, 30 controls. This can be overwhelming for application control, for application owners. So choose three and help them to get through it. And then you will have success after two weeks. You will demonstrate success. We managed to fix those three control in all accounts, which is very powerful. Sprint three, enjoy Christmas and finish the sprint two. Sprint four, select three more control, fix them, and start documenting what a security baseline looks for you. A security baseline is something you want to have everywhere, something that should be across all your accounts and that you are intransigent about that. It needs to be there. But it needs to be special, special to your application. So you can either start from, for example, the CIS benchmark that we talk about, you can start from the CAF framework, but start somewhere and iterate. Spring five, select three more control, and train your devs around the RDK, because at this point, you will start to have um, the feeling of things you need that is not there yet. So get your dev building um, actual rules, and maybe even open source it eventually. And finally, sprint six, choose one control which is hard. It's easy to pick the, the controls which are easy fix, like turn back, turn on Cloudtrail, for example. It's not an odd one. But the one, for example, credential which are hard-coded into an application, that's an odd one. So maybe select this one or select another which is very hard for your application and do it. Help all the application owner to be compliant on this one. Then after three months, you will have demonstrated that you have result. So it is time to, di to discuss with your executive, your managers, and see the, the value of that. Maybe you can do something bigger, something more across, something more programmatic around the approach of compliance as code. C create some metrics. It's important to give a, a strong visibility. A metric can be, okay, who are the quickest to fix things? 
But who are the slowest as well? And finally, plan your next three months. This is a journey. It's going to take time to get to the, 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 the place you want to be. And when you arrive after the place where you want to be, you will, you will want to go even further. So plan ahead, but plan iteratively. Three months is a good framework to deliver a result while still having a sense of achievement. It's not too far. It's not too blur. It's there. It's three months. I can do it. So with that, I'm very thankful to Giles and to Prashant for, uh, for being there. Uh, it was awesome to have you all. I hope you enjoyed the talk. Um, and with that, please enjoy the rest of reInvent. Thank you very much.